Other cities have the Enzers, the Bandwagons, the Eternal Optimists, but here in Atlanta, we are all hopeless sportsmantics. All right, everybody, welcome into episode 10 of the Hope of Sports Mantic podcast. I'm Taylor, as always, with my co-host Chase. And today we're going to talk about the new news and the collective bargaining agreement between the NFL Players Association and the ownership group. There's been a lot of hot takes on both sides of this issue, and it's caused a lot of conflict even between the players themselves. And we're going to give you our takes on it, and as well as give you some updates on what's to come with this breaking news uh chase what's your thoughts on this my initial thoughts were that it was a little the 17 game season was a little bit ridiculous because um you know one more game to me doesn't really do a whole lot for the playoff picture doesn't do a whole lot for um players health for for one thing i mean we're talking about concussions here and we're talking about player safety one more game is it going to help and then but the three preseason instead of four to me it doesn't make a huge difference because i feel like by the fourth season preseason game guys are already sitting out and then um and then i feel like for the undrafted guys the guys that are trying to make the roster they already have an idea of who's going to make it and who's not going to make it. And, you know, that doesn't do a whole lot for me. It doesn't really affect it, but the way that the playoff picture was having, what was it? Seven teams now, instead of the six, and then only one team gets, gets the playoff or gets the bye week. And then, and then the six other teams have to compete. That's what I didn't like right there was because, you know, it, it just feels almost like the NBA playoffs in a way because the NBA playoffs has the one versus the eighth seed, and then it's just a waste of four games because you already know. I mean, when's the last time you've seen a one seed beat an eighth seed? You know, but that's really my issues. I think there are some things about this that we'll get into later that works in the players' favor. And, you know, it's it's not all bad. I think the NFL has seen um, there's sort of like a silver lining. And I think the NFL is trying to make it work for the players. They're not just trying to say, here's what we're going to do. And you're, only, you're all going to play one more game. And... That's it. You know, they're, they're taking into account player safety. We'll get into it more later. But, you know, I, I think overall, it, it, overall, there are some things that I wouldn't like. But, you know, it, some things that, that are OK about it. Yeah, the, the big uh, issue over all of it, which a lot of the players that have come out against it or this is the, the key reason that they are against it is the 17 game regular season versus it being 16 games. A lot of the players are just opposed to it in general. Others have said that they're willing to do a 17 game regular season with the players being limited to 16 games. So that would force um, 
teams to use second string guys at some point during the season. If say a player is, um, is completely healthy throughout the entire season. And then you have to sit them at least once. Um, the other key parts of it, um, are a hundred thousand dollar increases in minimum salaries for rookies. And the, they, narrowed the drug testing window for THC from four months to two weeks. So that's helpful to the players in those two ways. And then also players can be paid over a 34 week period instead of a 17 week period at their request. So that's going to help out with helping some guys out with finances that kind of struggle in that regard. And then it's going to really help the guys at the bottom. The interesting note to me, um, Pat McAfee brought this up a little bit in his show is a lot of the key players that have come out against it. This includes Richard Sherman, Russell Wilson, uh, retired uh, James Harrison, and then Michael Thomas. A lot of these guys that they are key players. They are stars in this league. They are established, but most of these guys were not drafted highly. Aaron Rodgers, who's been a massive um, kind of, he's been very against this proposal, is probably one of the higher guys that's come out, and he was the 24th pick in the draft when he was drafted. Russell Wilson, second-round guy. Michael Thomas, second-round guy. Richard Sherman was a fifth-round guy. What this means is that these guys did not get their big paydays until their second contract. They were not given huge signing bonuses coming out of college and they were not able to kind of set themselves for the future until they had already been established in the league. So these guys, I guess they're at, they're at the top of the totem pole now, as far as being paid the most and getting the endorsement deals and the exposure, but they still had to grind at some point and experience the lower, end and of the pay scale i guess and a lot of the guys that are benefiting the players from the player side the guys that are benefiting from this the most are the practice team the practice squad guys and the lower level guys that are getting the league minimum contracts and not really getting that much because those guys those league minimums are going up and the player revenue did go up in one percent and if they go to a 17-week season, that'll give it another half percent, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's another $5 billion in revenue that can go amongst the players. But, I mean, the salary cap is going to somewhat move, but with them raising the minimum salaries, that indicates that a lot of the guys that are going to get those max deals aren't going to get as much. So I think that's kind of why you're seeing some of these guys come out against it. I mean, there's also the stuff of, like, no guaranteed money, which I don't think that's the owners are ever going to allow that to even be on the table. But there's been some some stuff. Pension increases have gone up as well. Retired players now get lifetime health insurance, which that's big, especially after the concussion era. But it's caused an interesting dynamic and a little, little bit um, with this conflict that's going on between the players and between the players in the locker room itself. Yeah, and to your point, Jamal Adams is one of the players that seemed like he was okay with it. He's like, you know, one more game equals, you know, I get paid for one more week. So, you know, it's 
and that's easy for a guy that plays on defense to say. You know, it's 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 more like more the fact that you know he's not necessarily taking all the hits; he is providing them. Another thing that I found interesting about this proposal is that the commissioner Roger Goodell no longer is over the discipline. So he'll no longer have authority over player discipline issues. A neutral uh, arbitrator will handle those hearings. Goodell will continue to have authority over the quote integrity of the game issues. And, you know, I hope, I hope that with that, that, you know, there will be more consistency with suspensions because, you know, it seems like guys can do the same thing, but like one guy gets two games suspension and the other guy gets seven. So, you know, it's, you know, I'm hoping that we'll see more of a consistent uh, punishment for that and um, more, um, maybe like a set rule on, you know, this will automatically give you a two-game suspension. This will automatically give you an eight-game suspension. So, you know, I I think that I think that that was an interesting an interesting um, part of the agreement. Yeah, that was the the key reason why that was such a big deal was that was the just the massive amount of authority that Roger Goodell was given was a major issue with the previous collective bargaining agreement that was created in 2011. And then plus with the issues going on with Ezekiel Elliott and Josh Gordon and other guys, I think that's the inconsistency, like you said, in the NFL's office has kind of come to the forefront. So this is, I guess, a way to limit some of that, but it's just the most interesting part to me is the players that have supported it. Javon Kinlaw of the Giants is one of the guys that uh, is a union representative, and he posted on Twitter his full reasoning as to why, explaining that he went to the not Javon Kinlaw, somebody else, but I'll get the name later. But he posted it to Twitter and explained that he, the ownership said we wanted this and this, and the players had these ideas and he went to the guys in his locker room and asked them what they wanted. And it included the uh, pension increases and the THC window being narrowed and some of the other stuff that's pro players included a lot of that in his eye. And then he felt that given he was willing to sacrifice some other stuff and given what the players were able to gain from the agreement, he was willing to add a 17, add an extra game to the regular season to make it 17 games. And that's why he voted yes to the proposal. The, like I was to elaborate further, he really articulated, really put it out there why he supported it point for point. The players that have come out against it, Russell Wilson, um, Marquise Pouncey and so and other players have they said they're against it they haven't really given any substance as to why they're against it Russell Wilson I believe said something along the lines of the ML, MLB treats their players right and the NFL needs to be like these other leagues because they put the players first that just 
is jargon that has no meaning to it. Marquise Pouncey ranted, uh, had an expletive-filled rant in his car driving and called this new agreement of all sorts of names that he just went through the bleep sensor basically ran out by the end of it. But I mean, like I was saying, these guys, the guys against it, I guess the biggest issue for that them is they need to come to the forefront and say why they're against it. I think Richard Sherman is a perfect, uh, perfect guy to do that because he's, he's a smart guy was a salutatorian in his class at Stanford. I mean, being at Stanford itself already is enough of an accomplishment, but I mean, these guys have, there's guys with the brain power that are against this agreement that can articulate why they're against it. They just need to do that. I think they see the 17 game schedule and that, you know, Russell Wilson in the past has really been one of those quarterbacks that has had to run for his life and has had to, frankly, has taken a beating and, you know, adding one more game is one more risk for injury. And, you know, you got to take into consideration, are these guys going to have another bye week if you're going to add a week, a 17 week season, or are you going to, are these guys going to, you know, um, is training camp going to be shorter? I mean, this is guys need to rest their bodies and, you know, there's a rule proposed that is said that, hang on, I'm looking it up. Basically that, you know, training camp and guys are supposed to have like over uh, like a three-day break after like a Thursday game. And so I'm thinking it, it seems like there's definitely, here we go. There will only be 16 days in pads, no more than three straight days in pads, and three to five, three of the five weeks of camp, and no more than two consecutive days and two of the five for training camp. And then in the case of an expanded season, a reduced preseason, there will be a limit of four joint practices. Uh, the teams must upgrade the visitors' locker rooms, and an extra offensive lineman is allowed to be active on game days. So, um, with that, I think that, you know, I don't know how much of it that the players read, I, I mean, of Russell Wilson and, you know, Pouncey. I think that for those guys, they see 17-game schedule, and, you know, the playoff system looks a little odd. I think, you know, it's, they. I think they see it as, you know, I'm not going to speak for him, obviously, but you're trying to keep player safety, take that into consideration, but you're adding another game for us. You know, who's it really about? Yeah, I mean, there's other guys that have even added this idea of splitting the revenue with the owners 50-50, and there's no way that's going to happen because then the owners end up losing a lot of the leverage that they have in negotiation and they don't want to do that. I mean, granted, I think there's other ways that they could give it up. That's why you're seeing, you see guys hold out and guys and players go on strikes because that's really the only leverage that they have against the ownership group is that they can just shoot like what a strike is. They can choose not to play. And that is 
really the only thing that they have. Stefan Diggs, for example, tweeted out, I vote no. J.J. Watt tweet was hard no on that proposed CBA. Aaron Rodgers did have a couple of paragraphs worth of information, but it basically boiled down to, I'm a veteran guy and I've talked to other players and I don't want to have a 17-game regular season. Um, Richard Sherman added on to that. He He said, health and wellness of our men is always the most important aspect. There is no price you can put on that, and that is why I voted no. I respect the men that have that have been part of this discussion and stood up for their locker rooms. Seems like the 17-game regular season is the thing that's causing the biggest tension among the players with the ownership group and within their own locker rooms. Yeah, and, and understandably so. I mean, as I've, I've said, you know, it's, you know, the NFL has talked about you know, keeping player safety under under most consideration, and they've you know enforced the penalties on helmet to helmet hits, and you know the issues with with CTE that we've seen with former players, and then of course with former and current players that are having you know sort of like head head issues, head trauma in a way. Like for example, Jim McMahon with sort of uh, you know I don't know off the top of my head what it is but it's almost like a short-term sort of memory loss and he'll sort of forget what he's doing but um basically that that's what that's what concerns most players is the is the 17 game schedule and you know it's when when you add another game to already a 16 game season which is already as long as as long as as already a long season you know you have to take more things into consideration such as as rest as well as um you know you know do you want to give a second bye week to the season do you want do you want to you know sort of have everybody sort of like a mid-season break I don't know. I don't know what you would do, but you know, a- another thing that that we've seen is from this agreement is no marijuana penalties. The testing window for THC is reduced and there will be no more suspension for a positive test for THC. And fewer players will be tested. You know, I with that you think of guys like like Calvin Johnson who admitted to being high, like, or getting high, like, every day and getting, you know, playing basically high. And, you know, like that. And that was sort of, like, his recovery for for playing and taking, taking the beating of being a receiver in the NFL and for um, sort of the the price that you pay for for laying it out, laying out for a ball, you know? So one of those guys that saw his career end earlier because of, because of the risks. And this is for guys like that, that or Andrew Luck, who I know hasn't come out and said that he's had marijuana, but he is another example of guys that have ended their career early 
as a risk of for injury and you know i think that's something that is looking that nfl the nfl is looking to reduce is um is helping player or wanting to sort of extend the career of these players and making them feel like they don't have to stop so or in their career to risk injury i don't i don't know this know. is it's it's a mutually beneficial part for both parties. I mean, the the THC for, like the marijuana marijuana is a known um, I don't want to say painkiller, but it's it helps it's helping the players out with recovery and it's a lot less addictive than a lot of the prescription ones like oxycotton and oxycodone that kind of that those end up being highly addictive and causing nervous system issues even for players. But the players end up being healthier because of the focus on player safety and allowing them to recover. And I mean, we're talking about lifetime health insurance for the players, the healthier the players are when they're playing and when they retire, the lower the insurance cost is that the league is going to have to cover for them. So the more that they focus on player safety, the more it's going to help the bottom line in that end. So I think with that in mind, the league is pay is going to those like they're going from not paying for insurance to paying for it. That's going to cost some, but they are, I think, because of that going to end up making up some of the costs with having a bigger focus on player safety. And I think the players are going to also just the players reaping the benefits of that is going to increase revenue because their level of play on the field is going to increase. Well, another topic that we have for today is the NFL combine and, you know, what we've seen from the first or from the past few days from the NFL Combine, um, I guess some things that stick out is teams are really liking what they've seen from Utah State quarterback Jordan Love and, you know, Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason sort of struggling, um, didn't have the greatest Combine. And then, you know, from Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm, you know, from what I'm hearing is, you know, went into it with the questions of does he have the arm strength, does he have does he have the um, the skill set to be in the NFL or to be like an NFL starter and ran the slowest 40 time out of 5.01 out of any quarterback and, you know, sort of has that same question. You know, he, he has – he's very smart on the field. He's able to read coverages. He's able to prepare well. But, you know, they don't really see that on the field for for the NF or for the combine. Yeah, I mean that's the the combine is really the stepping stone for a lot of the guys that are just raw athletes. I mean you look at DK Metcalf, you look at Chris Johnson, John Ross, these are guys that didn't even necessarily wow you on paper, but then they come out and you just see the God-given athletic ability, and that allows them to really step up. And at the same time, like you said, this is kind. Of, this does not help the guys that are going to beat you. Uh, I, I guess a way to say it is death by a thousand paper cuts. They're going to outsmart you and beat you that way. And Fromm's kind of known as that. He's able to 
was always known as a guy that made the checks at the line of scrimmage and was able to win the play before the ball was even snapped. I mean, see this example, Herbert's done well. He, th- he threw uh, to the sideline at any at an elite level in the uh, footage that I saw. And then CeeDee Lamb also did really well with the, especially with the end of the receiver run. He made a great leaping grab along the sideline, high pointed the ball perfectly, got his feet in bounds. Just every aspect of receiving, he really was honestly able to showcase on one play. There's not really been a lot, I guess, because a lot of the guys are taking a more of a risk-free route, like Joe Burrow's not throwing at the combine. More guys are doing that kind of stuff. I mean, we saw Lamar Jackson. He didn't run a 40 uh, when he was at the combine. But there's been a few guys that have done pretty well. Isaiah Simpson Simmons has ran, I think, a 4.39 as the linebacker, so a faster 40 than Julio Jones and... AJ Green and other top receivers, even running backs, that, I mean, that's really shot him up on draft charts. And I've even seen, uh, heard about the Falcons taking a look at him just because of raw athletic ability. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned this name, but CeeDee Lamb from Oklahoma had a really good combine. Um, you know, just making the making the catches on the sideline. And, of course, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs both had a really good combine. Henry Ruggs um, ran his combine best of 4-3-40. Um, he sat out the rest of the night. But, you know, guy, look at guys like – or teams like the Cardinals. I know we're looking for an eighth overall – at eight, number eight overall pick they're looking for a wide receiver and it'll be interesting to see which one of those three guys that that they go that they go with on that pit yeah them and the jets as well with the jets being i believe higher up in that draft they might snag judy with i mean robbie anderson was the go-to receiver for them last year and that's just not really going to cut it long term especially when you have a young quarterback in Sam Darnold back there but I think at this point Burrow is the pretty much the unanimous number one it's just a matter of who the second and third and fourth quarterback is that are going to be drafted especially with how many teams that need a quarterback I've even seen heard ideas of the Redskins going after a quarterback again which if I'm them, I'm getting Chase Young just because he's such a game changer on defense, even with the fact that they didn't have that bad of a pass rush last year. And then there's other the other news with, um, I believe, Chase, you mentioned uh, to me off the show is uh, Tua struggle, struggled a little bit is an interview with the Miami Dolphins. You want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I just... Just basically that, you know, he, he struggled in his interview. It wasn't the greatest. You know, he, I don't know if it was um, that he didn't break down coverages as well as they wanted him to, but um, they're really skeptical, I guess, about if they really want him to be the franchise quarterback. And that was one thing I was going to ask you was, you know, is this a guy that you think his ceiling is high enough 
to where you would take a risk at number five to be your franchise quarterback with his in, with his injury problems in the past with what you've seen from his from his tape at Alabama would you take him over say a Justin Herbert at number five I would not I've mentioned in previous episodes that I think Justin Justin Herbert I th- I think Burrow's going to have a solid career no matter where he goes, but I think Justin Herbert has the highest ceiling out of all these guys. Um, You really want a quarterback to have a rookie coming in because I anticipate Herbert, Tua, and Burrow were probably going to start week one um, unless something crazy happens. You want a solidified offensive line in front of these guys, no matter who the quarterback is, no matter how much talent they have, because I think that's the biggest recipe for disasters when you stick a guy out there and then you give him a horrible offensive line, and that's just how you destroy his confidence. I mean, that's what happened with Tim Couch and numerous other uh, highly sought-after quarterbacks in front of them. I think it's not... I think it's probably second to having a guy sit behind an established quarterback is making sure he has a solid offensive line in front of him. And you're just not going to see that in Miami. And even I don't think LA and the chargers have that great of an offensive line. Yeah. And I, I've, I've said this before. I think that with Tua, he needs to go to a place where they have an established offensive line and Miami just doesn't. And, you know, he needs the way that he's played, the, the way that he, it feels like every time Alabama, it was, it's Tua going to play Tua as a game time decision. And then, of course, he had the devastating injury in the Mississippi State game last year. Of course, went out in the SEC championship in 2018. You know, is he going to be able to sort of, Hold himself together. Is he able? Is he going to be able to survive the beating that he's going to take in Miami for these first few years? Because if he isn't, then then he's going to. I wouldn't be shocked if he's out of the NFL in five years because of injury, not because of he can't play. I mean, he's shown his talents, but you know, yeah. with with you know, you can be the ta- most talented guy in the world if you can't get on the field. Then you know, it's. It's almost, it, it, it makes you skeptical about, am I going to use my number five overall pick? Am I going to risk being, setting myself back for five years just to just to see what your upside is? And I don't think Miami is really in that situation, really has the power to be in that situation unless they re-sign Ryan Tannehill, or uh, excuse me, Fitzpatrick. Yeah, at least I mean, at least they have Fitzpatrick there in place in case he's not ready yet. But I mean, like you said, this has been an ongoing um, tank going on in Miami for the past few years, and I think they're ready for um, they're ready to become a contender in the AFC East and in the AFC as a whole. Um, I just don't know. If it's like you said, I don't know if it's worth the risk. He's a bit like Mahomes coming out in that he's a huge boomer bust prospect. Luckily for Mahomes, he ended up in Kansas City with 
Andy Reid, who's probably one of the best offensive minds of all time. And he was able to, like, in the, and he ended up with Andy Reid, and he was able to sit behind Alex Smith for a year, which is a great one two combination to create the league MVP that he became. And I just don't think that I mean Miami I mean they had the hashtag tank for Tua they've been the biggest proponents of signing Tua but I just don't think that's the best situation for him I think if I'm if I'm a rookie quarterback I say this as a Falcons fan as a rival of Tampa I think Tampa with Bruce Arians with the cap space to get an offensive line that they I think at that that's the team I want to go to if I'm a quarterback I don't want to go to Los Angeles or to Miami to pull up some of these um, just to have some numbers to back up what I'm my claims about um, the offensive lines being a key part this is uh, according to pro football focus at the end of uh, the 2019 regular season so the end of when all 32 teams are playing the worst offensive line in the entire NFL is the Miami Dolphins. That's not good for a rookie quarterback with his injury, bad injury history coming in. And then even for Burrow, the Bengals are had the 30th best offensive line, and then the Chargers were at 29. So those are three of the quarterback. Those are three uh, teams looking for a quarterback early in the draft with bad offensive lines in front of them. Meanwhile, other the other team that's looking for a quarter looking for a quarterback among all of these is Tampa, who I mentioned, who's got a is the has the seventh best offensive line. I mean that's a with a top ten offensive line because Ryan Jensen and, and Ali Marpet are the center at the center and guard position are two of the best in the NFL. So I mean that's with the the centers pro- arguably the most important part of the offensive line because they direct what the protection is and such, and then you got a guard which is just another even more of a boost on the interior. So that's really going to be a great foundation for um, a rookie quarterback to be able to develop. And then mentioned previously, they have Bruce Arians, they have great quarterback mind, great guru for a head coach that's really gonna can really accelerate the growing process for a quarterback. So that's with some numbers to back it up. That's why I would, if I'm a rookie quarterback, Tampa is the place I want to go to. You know, on top of that, the receiving core that they have with Brayton or Bray at tight end. And then of course, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, you know, OJ Howard as well had tough year 2019, but Definitely has a skill set as a receiving tight end, but my concern with Tampa, I don't think I would be, I wouldn't be shocked either way. I think I've said this before, but like I said, Bruce Arians is going to be 68, I think, this year. And when he came to Tampa, he said he's not looking for a guy, like he's not looking to do a rebuild, which I'm wondering if that means I'm not looking to develop a rookie quarterback because when he came, they were very clear. If you come here, Jameis Winston will be our quarterback. And now that now this year, 
now that a year has passed and Jameis has thrown 30 interceptions, are they going to go in the direction of getting a quarterback in the draft, or are they going to go in the direction of free agency, or are they going to re-sign Jameis? So, you know, it's post-LASIK Jameis and that. Post-LASIK Jameis, that's correct. And so, you know, I, I I just don't really see right now I want, I would like for them to draft a quarterback, like I've said, but I just don't know if they will because, because, you know, Bruce Arians is, I don't know if he's really in the market to, or in the mood or wants to, you know, develop another quarterback. Yeah. I think like we've been talking about with these, Teams looking in that are in a quarterback search having bad offensive lines and that not being a great combination. That's why I think Chase Young. I think Justin Herbert's going to be the best quarterback out of this draft, and I think Chase Young is going to be the best overall player out of this draft just because, I mean, the game is getting more pass heavy and he's a game breaker of a pass rusher and he's great against the run. He's. I've seen some scouts have said they anticipate him to be a top 10 at his top 10 edge rusher at his position when he's sets foot on an NFL field for the first time. And like we said earlier, he doesn't have that bad of a defense behind him. And so he'll be able to, I think really shine, especially early on. I think we're going to see a guy become a big part of the league. I don't want to say Von Miller, yet but i think he definitely has that kind of ceiling as a edge rusher oh, that's gonna do it on this episode of the hopeless sports mantic podcast before we go you can find us on spotify google podcasts itunes and others you can also follow us on twitter and instagram at hopeless sports mantic for show announcements as well as letting you know when we've posted For ideas, reviews, or to communicate with us, email us at hopeless.sportsmantic at gmail.com. For Taylor, I'm Chase. This has been Hopeless Sportsmantic Podcast. See you.